आई वी एम टूडे वी विल डाइव डीप इन द वर्ल्ड ऑफ अ शार्क बिहेवियरिस्ट अ पैशनेट अंडर वाटर केव एक्सप्लोरर a champion ocean conservationist and above all a kickass woman in an underwater male dominated underworld christina zanato this week we will be completing 50 episodes of the absolutely right podcast i am your host aditi surana each week we invite one trailblazer pioneer mad hatter basically a round peg in a square hole kind of a person as our guest i use the mesmerizing study of graphology popularly known as handwriting analysis to decode the personalities of these fascinating people through these open vulnerable real conversations you get to discover deeper parts of your personality in today's conversation with christina we will be discussing what made an italian girl fall in love with the sharks and move to the bahamas what did it take for christina to build and nurture a mother child bond with a group of sharks over the last 26 years what are the challenges in her unusual and passionate profession as an ocean conservationist and a cave explorer which stroke in her handwriting depicts her research oriented thinking in 2009 christina created a petition requesting the government to start protecting the sharks with her relentless efforts In 2011 the Bahamas was declared a shark sanctuary making it illegal for anyone to kill sharks or import or export any shark products she is the founder of a non-profit called people of the water organized to create more awareness around this topic mahatma gandhi said in a gentle way you can shake the world christina zanato exemplifies that quote She will be joining us from Bahamas on the other side of this short break. Stay tuned. Hello everybody, welcome to another amazing week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you're not following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So another really fun week on the network. I don't know if you saw this, but Varun Thakur was on advertising his death. That was a really really fun episode. Besides that, we've had some great guests all over the place. We had Ram Madhwani on Cyrus Says. We had Saurabh Mukherjee, a legend in the finance space. He was on Paisa Vesa. He and Anupam quoted in a book, so definitely do check out that episode and go buy their book too. I mean like that would be another great thing to do. Uncle Pleesit had a really really cool episode with hosts of our other show, Mr. and Mrs. Binchwatch, Anirudh and Janis. They we're talking about celebrity culture and how that's progressed for the last few years and yeah it's just been a really really great week one episode i do want to shout out a couple of weeks ago pulia bazi did an episode which was just amazing they were talking about the uh, letters between mahatma gandhi and rabindranath tagore do check those out those are really good but with that let me get you back to your show so today on our 49th episode we have christina as our guest i'm so excited from the time i have watched your first video i think that was last year sometime i've been fascinated and i have written to you and you every time i messaged you have responded to that uh, you know something or other that was so beautiful so i remember the first line when i saw your video and i was mesmerized by it when you said the days uh, of diving when i am calm somehow my sharks know that and they come close to me and the days when i am disturbed or i'm dealing with something they are aware and they they respond to what is happening within that kind of connection i have seen between a mother and a child and i feel you know experiencing that with the wildest animal that we are aware of 
How do you manage to do that? What was the point when you discovered it? Well, I think it's like any relationship beyond, you know, the one between a mother and a child, but any relationship, I think is the time that you spend together, but also the willingness that you have to uh, listen. And listen doesn't mean only just listen to the verbal word, could be listen to a behavior, to a body language. And that's what happened with the sharks. Right. I start uh, watching them first. And then I start uh, comparing also notes, like I will arrive to the site, maybe there already been people there. Or maybe somebody had been fishing for fish, not for sharks, in a proximity, which I know makes the sharks very excited. And then I will notice their behavior on the water. Or I may be having like a very hard day, and then I will uh, be in the water and watching the sharks and realize that when I change my way of being, they also change. But I believe that's true in every relationship. So true. Uh, even whether so we don't know each other, if you meet someone on the road and they are... Um, let's say aggressive and you respond with aggressiveness, then you trigger more aggressiveness. But it may be you respond with this, oh, absolutely, my apologies, I didn't see this. Maybe that tones them down as well. So there is a, a same kind of concept. And I discovered it with just spending time with them and wanting to understand them. So when, you, when you're known as, who, who named you Shark Whisperer? Was there something that you thought that's your idea? Someone else chose that no. I actually don't like Shark Whisperer. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, people call me Shark Whisperer, I think, because there's been the Horse Whisperer and the Dog Whisperer, and it, it's the association that you can connect with the animal. So it has a generalized term of positivity, right? It's like, oh, this person can connect with the sharks. But personally, Shark Whisperer um, sometimes takes a little bit away from really what we work. can do. Right, I actually call myself the shark listener because I don't. It's not that I go down there and whisper to the sharks, "Oh, behave like this," and now do that. I actually have to listen to them, and like I said, it's not just the spoken word, but how are they swimming? What are their moods? Who is uh, agitated? Who is calm? And then I adapt my behavior to them in order to have a good relationship. So, shark whisper, I think, has been out there for for quite a long time. Right, um, but definitely no. I wouldn't have picked that. <laughs> so, so it's more of like a, a behaviorist, as you call it. You know, every time you describe your work, I feel like from my context, I feel as it's almost like walking into a session and seeing where the person is at and understanding their behavior and you know asking questions accordingly. So it feels so much similar, and you know, people can go wild. So I totally uh, <laughs> relate to what you're talking about. And now, I like behaviors. Yes. So, I like behaviors. It, it's behavior. It's understanding them and we adapt to them. So what, what was the beginning point? When did this whole, you know, in a way crazy idea begin for you? What, what was the beginning point? It wasn't crazy. It was my childhood dream and it made perfect sense to me at the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the dream was to be a uh, protector of the ocean, so a guardian of the ocean, so we'd be allowed to always be underwater. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I had no understanding of human physiology at the time, but to roam the oceans and tell people uh, what to do and what not to do in order to protect the ocean and the fish. And in this dream, I had sharks for friends that will come on patrols with me. Okay. Also, my mom telling me that it was time to come out of the water. <laughs> so you actually created a lifetime of of 
this amazing work of helping people you know being a, a conservationist and really really helping the ocean and our awareness around it with a sim- small idea of a of a 8 year old girl yes and no so it was a dream and it lay dormant into this world of there was also this concept of like oh women don't do scuba diving scuba diving is extremely for men and you know you are a woman you can't go scuba diving so there was all this uh, things she's like oh, okay so if you grow somebody up with that belief and there's a lot of discussions nowadays in the world right if you keep showing that uh, scientists for example in our uh, diving world that deal with sharks or any marine science are white males well yeah. how is a girl or even a, a girl of a different you know like a skin mm-hmm. tone go oh wow actually i am an indian girl and i can be a shark scientist so you actually need to show them the same kind of example so i grew up with this concept that scuba diving was not for women oh, and then wow. yes and then i discovered that actually there was a scuba diving out there and it was open to women so um as i was doing my other uh, education and job which is languages and hotel management i took a vacation and i landed right here it was a series of coincidences. I did my scuba course, and then thanks to the job in the languages, which I cultivated the, through the schooling years, I actually found the job here. So in, in the end, it all that you were out. there, you you uh, grabbed the job, you decided to move here, and that was the life changing decision. Seven days. Wow. In seven <laughs> days. That's I made crazy for sure, Christina. <laughs> that is a little bit stranger yes it was 70s but I was also 22 so if you don't go and try things at 22 when are you gonna do it it's (laughs) I think at 22 you should go and try something and do it for a year and say well it's not for me and then try something else it will gain your experience and skills and maybe point of views that maybe will then be beneficial when you finally realize what you really are understanding what you want to do understanding in your own personality that what you thought you like after doing it when you don't like it you can always walk away from it at that point in time that makes complete sense so uh, now at this point in time after 26 years of doing something so passionately also tell us more about the cave uh, diving what how is it different what exactly happens in cave diving people have heard of scuba diving but very few people are aware of cave diving so how does cave it? diving Believe it or not, the sharks brought me here and kept me here. And then cave diving developed within one year of being here. So I've been actually parallel developing my cave diving. I'm a cave diving instructor, explorer, you know, technical, whatever. And, and the sharks, those are the two elements that are still keeping me here to this day. Cave diving is different because it's uh, basically going inside an underground tunnels, which are also flooded. So not only you have the risk related with being underwater, I mean, so you have to calculate your gas, you can only stay down there so long, there's a risk of hypothermia. Now you have a, what we call a ceiling over your head, so you can't go directly up to the surface, you have to come out. Uh, you'll have also risks of uh, becoming lost, there's darkness, limited space, and all that. So what happens to cave divers is we actually pursue more training and more knowledge. And as much as people think, well, cave diving is so dangerous, I try to explain to people that it's actually not once you are trained. 
because cave divers are so trained physically and mentally on all the risks of cave diving that when we go in, we also have this attitude of saying, not today. I'm not going to push this. And everything has to be perfect. So a lot of people say, oh, you're an adrenaline junkie. And I'm telling them, I keep telling them, I actually am a controlling person. I'm a methodical <laughs> controlling person. I have to have my list. I have to have my gear in a certain way. I have to have my plan. I adhere to the plan. I don't move out of these, uh, these areas. Wow. And wow. that's how cave diving is. No. You know, Christina, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you here, interrupt you here. But I was looking at your handwriting and that's exactly uh, was fascinating. You know, the way uh, we have a particular stroke in writing, which is the letter M. And if it is done in a rounded and very careful manner, it talks about research-oriented and methodical thinking. So when I look at your story and I look at, you know, how adventurous it looks from the outside, I was wondering where exactly this methodical part would come in. But now it makes sense when you talk about your plans and you talk about exactly how you calculate things. It, it's something which I was, I was looking at and I was trying to understand. And yesterday when we had a short conversation, you said something very, very beautiful. You said that when, uh, when, a, when a climber decides to climb one fine day, he wants to go and reach the Everest. It doesn't happen one fine day. It's all the years of methodical thinking, a lot of work and, and you know, blisters that, that you have to struggle with to reach that point. And when you talk about cave diving, it sounds like that, that sadhana, that, you know, that work of, uh, that you do and the, the skill that you gather over the years that you really can achieve this level of expertise. That's correct. It's very much a process. And it's a process of dedication. It's like I was saying yesterday with a climber, you, uh, you decide you want to climb Mount Everest where you don't start, you don't start with Nanga Parbat. <laughs> you actually start with me with a, a thousand meter and that's already very high, a thousand meter mountain. Yeah. And then you learn about the different gear and you try that. And if something goes wrong, you only have maybe a thousand meter to deal with. And so it's the same with cave diving. You learn how to cave dive. There's a course that you take with all the specialized gear, but you only go this far into the cave. So if you have problems, you can come out and you're trained for that. And then you push a little bit more and a little bit more and then you add. And so you, you grow laterally and vertically. I had people asking me, oh, it teach me how to explore a cave. Explore a cave means I go in a place where no man has ever been before. And I'm like, well, you have to go where everyone else has been before. Yeah. You have to read I, the cave. You have to see it and feel it. Then you can see beyond what everyone else has seen. Yeah, I, I was in Barbados a few years ago and I visited the Haddison's Salt Cave and I saw how when he started exploring, now everybody can look at it, but when he started exploring how there were no pathways and how tough it was. So I, I have slight context only because of that experience, which was also very tourist-like for sure. So like today, when we look, we're going to talk about your handwriting and your personality. Before we begin there, what was your tough moment where you, know, you had to make some very, very se severe or different decisions, which other people looked at and thought was impossible. And for you, it was the obvious choice, like, you know, other than uh, choosing this career, what were those moments in, in a career so different and unique? I think one of the toughest moments is to stick with it. And that goes on every day is to continue into this career. 
as the time. So there's a first part, right? You're 22, you're 25, 26, and uh, people's judgment indulges you into there. They're like, ah, yeah, she's young. She'll work it out of her system. Sooner or later, she will drop this and go back and have a real job. So there's a time in which they indulge you. And then there's a time in which you're thinking, well, you're approaching 30 now. When are you going to get a real job? And uh, how our society structures, they start kind of like putting self-doubt because right. this is not a lucrative job. It's a job of passion. Mm-hmm. You make enough money to make a living, to buy your gear, but it's not lucrative like I'm able to buy a home or able to buy a brand new car kind of life. And it start putting doubts in your mind. It's like, ah, oh, should I go and have a real job? Should I go and do this? So I think the toughest moments is when your, your close ones and your loved ones ask you, well, Christina, when are you going to settle down? Mm-hmm. Uh, when are you going to have a real job? And, and there's that frame where you have to insist. And I, I've seen a lot of people coming, doing this. It's beautiful. It's adventurous. It's fantastic. But there's no money. It's so hard. It's very physically demanding. I'm going to and try something else because I really want to have a real job. And so for me, the hardest time is uh, every time you self-doubt and you're thinking, well, maybe I need to quit and do something else. What happens now is 26 years later, and I built a little bit of career. And luckily, for a series of circumstances, and I would have to say social media, because in 1995, they were not there, uh, my name has grown a little. And people just look at what I call the tip of the iceberg, right? They see this little bobbing, nice, shiny blue thing, and they see me working with the sharks and me exploring caves. Right. And they think, oh, that's amazing. It's very obvious that the choice was right. But they don't see the 15 years in which I had not accomplished much. I was still building myself, and people were doubting me and putting these doubts into me, and I still stuck with it because of a passion. That's incredible. That's incredible because what you're saying is this exact moment where people give up. These are the exact moments where people uh, kind of start contemplating why their dreams cannot take them further. And and then they live life, which is really, really, you know, an internal struggle that they carry. And you chose the external struggle and internal peace. You're like, I will, I'm willing to pay the price. But there's always a price, right? Price to everything that people choose. There's a huge price for everything. Um, there are prices that maybe people don't see. And, and the price is a personal. There are some people that might look at my life and think, I'm not willing to pay that price. Mm-hmm. And I look at other people's lives and say, well, I'm not willing to pay that price. So what right. we need to do is decide. And we were discussing this on, for example, monetary value of objects. But this is the price, the psychological price. Right. is uh, I decide that I need a timekeeper. Right. My timekeeper needs to be waterproof and efficient. And that's all my timekeeper needs to do. I actually need to be super light and not bother my wrist as I'm moving around doing things. There's someone else who thinks that the timekeeper needs to be the best symbol of technology, the most precious metal, and it has to have a certain price and a certain name. And that's okay. Each one of us will pick that and pay the price i'm not willing to pay not even never mind five thousand eight ten thousand dollars for a watch but not even five hundred dollars for a watch i just need a timekeeper someone else says no i want a ten thousand dollars watch and that's okay i'm not judging 
So the price that we pay are very uh, personal. And every day, I think we need to put those prices on the scale and say, am I willing today to pay that price? Maybe one day, the price versus benefit for me will change. So now I have price benefit. One day, maybe I wake up and I realize, wow, you know, the benefits are here now and the prices keeps rising. So then I will change again. But there is a price. My price is uh, uh, the one of, uh, at the end of the day, a foreigner living in a foreign country. So there is a a little bit of isolation. My Mm -hmm. family is a far away, is a 6,000 miles from here, is a missed um, birthdays, missed yeah. celebrations, missed uh, family um, keystone events. Yeah. Um, in 26 years here, I celebrated one of my dad's birthday when he turned 80 in 2018. He passed away a year later. I sit here sometimes with like, wow. And, and so there is a prize to pay. Uh, people come and go. This is an island. So right. his friendships were beautiful, but then they live <laughs> in all corners of the world. Um, yeah. Living on an island is not easy. Last year, we were destroyed by Hurricane Dorian. When you order something, is uh, it becomes a stuck in a shipping container. Then custom has issues. Then this paperwork doesn't work. Uh-huh. Your phone breaks. It's not, you're like, oh, I'm just going to the Apple store to fix my phone. There's no there. Apple store. There's no phone store. Yeah. <laughs> and so all little things that people uh, sometimes don't, Take for granted, uh, food is imported by ship. The ship is delayed by the storm. The food dwindles in, in the food store or maybe it's rotting because it's been sitting in a container for a couple of days. And, right. and all these things that you just have to adapt to. Um, for no, me, there's still That's an price. island life that you were definitely not aware of when you chose this and you've been like adjusting. You adjust. You, you adjust as you, as you go. When you're younger, it's easier to adjust. Now, 26 years later, is just part of my, my routine, my planning. So I'll give you an example. We do deal with hurricanes. A major right. hurricanes last year, Dorian, uh, flooded 70% of this island. Oh I was in the level 30% that stayed above water. There was areas where the water was 25 meters high. People were rescued off the roofs and everything. But as the hurricane season starts in June, back in March, when I go to the food store and I purchase beans, I purchase beans for the week, and then I purchase one portion of beans for a week that I put on a shelf for the hurricane season. And then I go and purchase, for example, vinegar. I purchase vinegar, and then I purchase a bottle that goes on a shelf for hurricane. I start preparing slowly. So you become... Uh, I'll go and purchase candles or batteries for my lantern. I make sure that everything works so that when the warning for the hurricane comes, for example, I don't have to go to the food store. And then when the hurricane season finishes, I start consuming all this canned food (laughs) that I purchase so I don't have to go shopping. So, you, yeah, you do adapt. And it's a price to pay. Some people think it's not a price to pay, but when they come here and after six months, they think, wow, this is really tough. And some people are not willing to pay that price. I actually visited Bahamas after one of the hurricanes and I know like how the islands were shut and what the hotels were like really dilapidating. It, it, it was a sight. It was really, really tough to look at the beautiful spaces being completely destroyed and 
And that also brings some sort of uncertainty, right? With everything like, like your work, like you know, to us, like people who are non-diverse, people who haven't understood your world, we find your work world really uncertain. We feel it's risky. So it is like, very the- uncertain for many reasons. One is most of my world depends on a, um, a level of service that is not vital. Sometimes I sit there and I'm thinking in a certain way, I'm doing something very ephemeral. I am taking people on the water for the pleasure of it. And I'm bringing them to see sharks. But imagine if we have to step back to a world where you only have to provide a roof on your head and food, my job was be, would be, superfluous and useless right so it has that connotation and a lot of the modern jobs if you want to think about a web designer and <laughs> singer and I, I do think about the reality of that and i do think that that it has an uncertainty uh we've been uncertain since september 1st last year i've done a lot of hurricanes and recovered from a lot of hurricanes but dorian plus covid yeah. has really brought a sense of uncertainty that i never felt before God. So what question would you like me to answer looking at your handwriting? What do you see mm-hmm. that I maybe miss? Miss, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so not miss physically like what do I miss in my perception of my world and surrounding how can I do better okay so many many choices that you make are based on very acute observation observation of your surrounding and that is also applicable to the people that you work with the people that you hang with the people that you associate with now when you are uh, attuned to your sharks and when you're listening to them you're you become one with them. You know exactly what you require to do in order to create more room for them to take over, for them to feel at home. And you become, in a way, facilitator. You're not necessarily playing a role, but you are letting them lead and you're following them when, when it comes to your work underwater, but which is beautiful. And you love the process of submission. But when it comes to the world uh, on on the land, it becomes extremely difficult for you to work with people who do not listen, people who are non-receptive, people who just um, play blind to all the signals that you are communicating, uh, you know, non-verbally. Like, and you wonder how they can miss this. This was so loud, and this was so clear, and this was so obvious. And you, on the other side, the way you do that to the sharks, you do that to people. So you're constantly absorbing, you're constantly observing, you're constantly, in a way, letting them lead. And that becomes very frustrating. Not because you don't like that part, but it is frustrating because they do not reciprocate. They do not take the subtle signals. So you feel that the part of communicating with the sharks is so simple because it's it's, it's like <laughs> it is it is clear you know there is no two way about whether they get you or they don't get you but you feel people on the other side they get you but they just they just behave blind or they do not reciprocate and i feel that is a big struggle 
It is. That is very spot on. It's, uh, I have a dear friend of mine. She tells me that every time I move, she said, I look like a, like a, like a raid, like a scanner. She said, you notice 15 behaviors and 15 <laughs> things going on. And once I, I will visit her in the United States and we'll pull up in a parking lot. And usually I go and do little shoppings of things that I can find on the island. And I will be just noticing, watching everyone moving, who was doing what, where. Um, <laughs> safety point of view but also and and she told me she said it's amazing to watch you she's a chief firefighter so she has kind of like the same skills like she can really observe the scene and she said you come in and she said i you can see 10 steps ahead somebody says this action you don't worry about this action you already know how this is going to roll 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 10 steps later and you become i do become frustrated you're absolutely correct when somebody says this action i'm like how long can she see what's going to happen in 10 steps and you're it's true i actually do have this you don't see it and then when i was training i train people to uh so i do manage dive operations and i help i train people to come up and do this job uh, nice. below me but then with me and then I want them to do the job so I can go and concentrate more on the other things that I really want to do which is now right. managing that dive operation and so as they come up and are trying to explain uh, they come up to me and I said oh I took these decisions and I'm like did you think about A, B, C, D, E, F, G and they're like uh, no and so I tried to instruct them but even after a while sometimes I'm thinking how did you not see that <laughs> you're right <laughs> Um, it is so through the years I had to learn also to communicate verbally (laughs) but you're right I'm like you didn't see that really you you set up this decision or this rule and you didn't see it you know rolling down the hill and hitting (laughs) hitting the obvious like but what is obvious for you is is really really not in the perception for others and I think uh, this is where the nonverbal communication is your favorite part. And I feel, you know, any close relationship, any close friendship that you have ever had, for you, that connection, till the point that connection existed, the relationship existed. When that, dis- that connection disappeared, for whatever reason, you were out of that relationship or that friendship. So that's also an integral part. When people get you, you know, and you want to believe that 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 part of, of non-verbal association exists as much as it should, according to you, whatever is your level. And when that level disappears, it shows on your face. You are out of there. <laughs> I actually had a friend um, in she passed, and I used to say we were so in tune with each other. We didn't really need to speak all the time. Yes, we spoke. We spent a lot of time together, but like sometimes we'll be on the boat together and her and I just moved on the boat as like a unison. And it is true. You're right. If, if when I have a, a friendship is a deep, deep, deep friendship. And when that communication that goes beyond the verbal communication disappears, then I am, I, I don't become, you know, it's not that I become mean. I just lose that that feeling, that warmth right. and that connection, yeah? Yes. <laughs> what else? What else would you like me to talk about? Well, um, what is the one predominant character that you see through my handwriting? 
that maybe actually the predominant character that holds me back. Maybe it is powerful in certain moments, but maybe is not in others. So two things, I, I would say combination of these two things that define you at the same time create a lot of struggle for you. So you are an introvert. So you really do not uh, feel the need to connect with other people. So every time, and that's why you thrive when you don't require these unnecessary stimulations. When, when people, you know, want to show off and they want to talk about certain things, you're not interested. You're genuinely not interested because that's not your priority. And you're very, very clear about that. And that's fantastic. So that's one aspect of it where, where you are in a flow and you know that. But that being an introvert, which is your strength underwater, which works otherwise, and you know it becomes a struggle with, with people most of the time. Second thing is, when you look at your future, um, I'm going to say this, okay? It may sound slightly complicated in the beginning, but give me a moment, especially for sure. our listeners, you know, and I'm saying this. So when you look at your future, it is a long-term idea. It's a humongous long-term idea. In spite of not knowing how you're going to achieve that goal, how you're going to achieve that mission or that purpose, you believe in it. And you believe that your job is to serve that large idea on a daily basis. And when you keep doing that thing, when, when people don't see results, when people don't understand how these dots are going to connect, that becomes frustrating for them. And you dismiss that their frustration is true. You believe that they're just overreacting. You kind of shut them out. Whereas you know you're working at something, but they can't see a connection. When you don't do, I would say much, or when you don't do the required things to connect their frustration to your idea and you help them understand with the bridge is where a lot of misunderstandings happen. So people stand in your way most of the time because they do not see what you can see. And you do not take the trouble to translate what you can see in their words. So they keep uh, banging at, at a closed door because being an introvert, you can shut people out. And you know, being this long-term thinker, you can really hold on to your idea no matter how much resistance you see. But both these things, do make your everyday living very, very tough because you constantly feel agitated. That's very good. That is very good. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I, a lot of people that look at me on social media or when I go to a meeting or when I'm at the dive show or anything like that, will think I'm anything but introvert, but I'm actually very introvert. Yeah. Um, I can go, I, I can go weeks being in my own company, doing my own thing and all of that. I have specific, really good friends. Yeah. And those will take me as I am, right? Show up, not show up, uh, talk, not talk. And, and they are maybe introvert as well. I don't know that. I don't know. Uh, but the, the one about the, the dots uh, is like, yeah, I hang on. My mom says I'm, a stu I'm stubborn and I just hang on to my bone like a dog, dog in a junkyard and I will not let go of that bone. But at the same time, like you said, I maybe sometimes do not take the time to really bridge um, that. And it's really interesting because there's like a little drawing that we just did for kids with uh, 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 Sharktopia, who is a, a friend of mine from 
when she's a designer and does like coloring pages. And in his coloring pages, she drew my dad in his old military outfit. And then yeah. she reproduced a little me next to him, looking up to him and basically put the two things together. And uh, the, she said, what is the quote you were put here? And I said, well, that's the one that my dad told me a few years back, which was, uh, at first I didn't understand why you worked so hard, but now I, that I can see your dream come true. I can see your dream come true and I'm very proud. Oh my God. But in the process, there was a lot of conflict between my dad because he couldn't understand. And maybe, like you said, I never really took the time to say, dad, this is what I see over there. He just saw that I went at it day after day after day. And he said, well, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Right. I remember one of the things he said is like, you know, he was worried about that you work for very little money while you're working so hard, so physically, and you just could not see. I and it caused conflict between the two of us. Uh, oh. Till I matured enough to go back in a conversation with him. And the two, you know, it was like really when he left, it was very peaceful because he and I had had conversation for years now about connecting that bridge. Yeah. And Christina, I feel this is a point where you can really look at that situation. And even now at this point in time, I see some irritants are exactly about this. Some places where you feel people and people cannot see what you can see. And I'm, I feel sometimes we require different techniques or tactics to explain things to people. So it's almost like somebody who does not speak Italian. And if they don't understand what you're communicating, you will have to translate it in English because they don't understand your language. But you might take that extra effort to explain it in their language. Same thing happens with perspective building. Which I have worked on. But uh, to be honest with you, right now, with the volume that I'm receiving, I mm -hmm. also had to learn another skill. Yeah. Delete. <laughs> There's some translations that will never happen. And there's one of, I think a lot of my frustrations come from the fact that I have tried to bridge all these different translations, but some of them will never happen. And so one of the skills I'm learning is to understand, like, no, this translation is not going to happen and it's okay just because of the volume. For the loved ones, it's different. But no, um, I agree, that I agree. is what I'm definitely going to work on more. And that's an amazing point that you made because, you know, though we use techniques and though we use all these ways and we have great intent, that doesn't mean the other person or every other person will get you or will understand your vision. Our job can only be to help them see it, but we can never convince people on things that they don't want to be convinced about. So I completely agree on that. That's, that's what I said. Yeah. I have one question, you know, like that's something that, that I keep, I kept thinking about from the time we decided to talk with each other on the show. I was wondering, you know, uh, you, you spoke about in one of your videos about a shark coming close to you and first time breaking that barrier and touching your, your leg and, and sitting on your lap. So what was that experience like? What exactly transpired between you and the shark? I think what happened is the first thing that I always, and I teach this to, to people, is you have to stop wanting it to obsessive level. You just have to understand that it comes on certain terms. Uh, that that is line is universal. We can plug that line and talk about it. You stop. You have to stop wanting it. Everything in life. 
Okay. Yes and no. I mean, you need to want it, right? I want to be a diver and I work for it. But you can't say, okay, I'm, I'm going to become a certified diver. Why I am not uh, doing what Christina does? So that right. kind of mentality. So with the shark, it was, I have to stop trying to say, come here in my lap, come here in my lap. It was more like, I will let the shark decide when to come in my lap. And what is for you will never pass by you is one of the quotes I actually have on my fridge. Nice. Because in this world, we do have issues with, it's called in, in America, they call it FOMO, fear of missing out. And so people swipe through all this profile and they're thinking, oh, wow, this life and all that. Don't worry. Don't worry about her life, his life, what they're doing, how they're making it. Is What is for you will not pass by you. And so that's what happened with the shark. I, The first two dives, I was like, oh, why can I not put the shark? I want a shark to come. And when I was like, you know what? When she's ready, she will come. And within minutes, right? And that's what I teach my students. The one I come here to do the one-on-one course with me to actually learn how to put the shark to sleep, how to have the shark in their lap. I tell them, do not go on the dive thing trying to, don't. You're almost like, you do your thing that I'm telling you to do. You walk, you breathe, you pet, you give a little bit of food, you just surround yourself and when the shark feels that you don't have that shield, it's like, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want. All of a sudden, the shark will say, now I want it. And it will come in. So okay. that is how it happened. The feeling is beautiful. To have an animal trust you to the level that they do, to relax into your lap. They're still alert. They can still see. They can still feel. But to have an animal say, in this moment, I am feeling comfortable and I am actually trusting you to relax. Because remember how vulnerable an animal is while she lays in my lap. There's other animals swimming around. There's other people. Uh, Her sides are completely exposed. So in that moment, the animal says, no, this is good. And you've created this and this is comfortable. And so they just, I I think is a privilege. Safe space for, for the animal. That's so beautiful. As you're speaking about it, it's so calming, Christina. I can't wait for the lockdown to get over and and the travel to begin and come and learn from you. That is so amazing. I know it's it's like the sense of calmness that that you feel, you know, it's part of like once. um, I, I remember reading this quote that being calm is a superpower that very few people can have. And when you become calm to a degree that you can create a safe space for the other which is so beautiful, just so beautiful. I'm going to end on uh, one question that I ask every guest, and that is specifically because we celebrate journeys and successes and achievements, but we don't talk about failures to glory. We don't talk about how amazing a failure could be and how it shapes us. And that's you know, a part I feel is should be equally celebrated. What was your favorite failure? I looked into that question. Um, it's very hard, I think, for anyone as controlling as I am to say, oh, yeah, that was definitely my favorite <laughs> failure. Um, I think the failures that you learn from, the mistakes that you make maybe into establishing a relationship, and then you realize that uh, that was not the way. Like you said, you maybe you should have bridged that uh, conversation. So, uh, those are the failures I think that I that I prefer is the one that I can say. Well, I 
fail there and I made a mistake, but I was also able to go back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Um, can we try this again? Or can we do this? And uh, worked it a little bit differently. And so it's, I'm a very um, fallible person. I mean, I think I fail on a, on a daily basis, but being able to say I was wrong and I would like to fix that. From I honestly can't think like, you know, like a major uh, failure, like physical, maybe. Uh, something in your profession, you can't afford to make mistakes and fail because it's something that we is do. So- we do make mistakes. Maybe if you are in the correct training path, you make the mistake within the limits of your parameters. And so the mistake is you can actually fix it. So have I made mistakes, cave diving? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have I made mistakes uh, with the sharks? Yes. Uh, have I had a situation in which I went, oopsie, yes. But then the training and everything that I prepared before that, it was like, okay, time to, for example, uh, go out. Um, I think, like I said, the, my favorite mistakes is when I do something and then I re- learn something from it and then I bring it out and share with someone else. Okay. So, for example, in cave diving, could be I do something during the cave dive uh, which would be could be like uh, not paying attention and make like a physical mistake of marking the wrong way out mm-hmm. and then catching it. And it's like, wow, I just marked my wrong way out, which teaches me another thing. So I'm mentally tired now. It's time to go. But then I can grab that and say to my students, this is what happened at this mental level for this reason. And I made this physical mistake. And so those are the failures, I guess, that are the one that you can learn from and transfer to someone else and say, oh, yeah, I messed up that one. Huh? That's just why now I do things this way. And we go back to that's where I can see 10 steps ahead because, <laughs> because it's I was there before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Thank you so much, Christina. This was beautiful. This was uh, moving. And this was really, really inspiring. I'm so happy. That our listeners get to get to hear and know about your work, and uh, can you tell everybody how can we follow you? How can we know more about your work? How can we contribute to your nonprofit? What would be the way? Sure. So uh, you can find me across the Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter with the same uh, name. It's uh, Cristina Zenato. C R I S T I N A and Z E N A T O. Z as in zebra. And then if you put, you know, Facebook is Cristina Zenato, Instagram, Twitter, and all of that. And then you can also find my website for specifically the courses, the sharks, the caves. It's ChristinaZenato.com. <laughs> and then my nonprofit to help me continue the work in exploration education is a People of the Water. It's a POW nonprofit.org okay thank you so much thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for, for being on this to, show and thank you so much for allowing me to share my platforms uh like i said i try to answer every message so if people are listening have questions they can send them and then uh, i'll will answer accordingly <laughs> thank you thank, thank you, you so, so much, much christina at 23 christina moved to the bahamas to follow her childhood dream Today, after 26 years of rigorous practice, she keeps exploring new areas of the ocean and her life. I wonder, when do you really know that you are ready to take such a leap? Can you ever know? Most people keep waiting for their entire life to follow the dream that matters to them. 
They believe one day things will fall in place and the time will be right. And others believe that they need to start before they are ready. On Friday, in our special 50th episode, let's talk about what would change if we really start working before being ready. Each dreamer needs to be a bit crazy. If you're still waiting, wondering whether to give that long-awaited dream a shot or not, then the next episode is for you. Thank you so much for being part of this wonderful journey. As a big thank you from our side, episode number 51 will be dedicated to you. Yes, to all our listeners. This episode is called Ask Me Anything. You can send your handwriting sample along with your most pressing question on my website aditisurana.com slash podcast. We will select two to three such questions and invite you as our guest on the show. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Absolutely Right. I'm keen to know what were your takeaways from this conversation with Christina. What small actions will you be taking today to improve something in your life? Do share your experience and send your questions to me on my Instagram handle at Aditi Surana. If you like this podcast, then don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can listen to us on the IVM podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Let's connect on Friday. Till then, happy writing. Are you constantly seeking happiness? Wondering how to make the most of every day? How not to let your inhibitions stop you from achieving your goals? It's now time to get your A-game on. It's time to unlock your true potential. Tune in to the empowering series with me, Zarina Poonawala, to feel empowered in all genres of life. From behavioral skills to management skills, from health to relationships, from mental well-being to emotional well-being, and of course, your finances. I've got you covered with these tips and tricks from me, Zarina, and true life stories from my amazing guests. You're bound to bring your purest to the table. Tune in to the Empowering Series with Zarina Punawala every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app, website or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sachin Tendulkar, Virat Kohli, Don Bradman and now Cyrus Brocha. Okay, probably not in the right company. I mean, Don Bradman is Australian. But it's called Cyrus Says. A wonderful show about everything. Find the show on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.